for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. One of these losers in Las Vegas who keeps thinking he's going to come up with a way to win at Blackjack. Are you ready for some TNA? Welcome to TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. A podcast with true-to-life stories and experiences from advantaged players in the game of Blackjack. From pros crushing it and making a living counting cards, to newer players who are just making their way through all the ups and downs of what can be, at times, both an equally frustrating and beautiful game of AP Blackjack. Is this the kind of thing you want to hear? Well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Here's your host, Mike AP. Hey, TNA listeners. With me today, I have Nubs. He is my guest co-host, and we're going to do another mailbag segment. But we're also going to do a little different tactics day where we answer audio segments the listeners sent in. So bear with us. This is the first time trial on this, and hopefully it goes well. How you doing, Nubs? Good. How you doing? Good, man. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here, and uh, hopefully I can help out the AP community. All right, so without further ado, let's dig right in the mailbag here and pull out the first question. And the first question is, what was your approach to heat at lower stakes? Did you worry about it? How did you interact with pit personnel? What was your spread like? And when did you start noticing a significant difference in the way casino personnel treated you? Was it a $50 max bet, 100, 500? When do you think they start to sweat the money in your experience? I would say that A, that depends greatly on shift, floor, casino, day of the week, moods of the personnel, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what do you think about that? Okay, well, that that's an excellent question. Uh, well, a lot is going to depend on the market that you're playing in. Yes. Uh, a market that has a few $5 tables that are playable. And when I say playable, I mean 8-deck hit 17 versus, you know, the 25 50 or $100 tables that are going to be double-deck or 6-deck stand 17 with good rules. You would think that they wouldn't sweat the $5 tables, but they do on occasion. If you're red chipping, I would probably just play through it. And if you're unlucky enough to get the heat and get picked off red chipping then then so be it i think the heat starts to come when once you break the hundred dollar threshold and they start calling out black action i think that's when they finally start paying attention to you I know some people they'll bet like 95 instead of 100 just to avoid the black action or, you know, they'll bet three greens and four reds. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes you'll you could bet four or five, six greens and they won't call black action. Right. But you put one black chip out and then all of a sudden they're yelling out black action. I would test the waters and see what you can get away with in your market. Some casinos, even one quarter, they're calling green action. I mean, you know, it just depends. Again, it's market dependent because if you red ship a double deck game in Vegas and spread one to three, you're going to get picked off. (laughs) Yep. Not to beat a horse to death here, because I've said this many, many times on this podcast. You probably said it on this podcast. Uh, I know you said it elsewhere. This is another example of how a network is so important to know all these things. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, 100%. The the network is important because you might have two casinos right next to each other and one of them is going to sweat 
the action and the other one will not. That's information that you're only going to get through networking with local APs. You know, I, I don't think there's a blanket answer for should you worry about heat at this level or that level. It's really location dependent and then casino dependent. And then and sometimes it's even shift dependent. Definitely. Sometimes even just day dependent. Maybe it's the guy's Friday. You know, he just decides that he's checking out and he's doing the least amount of work he can do. You know, we all have those days, right? Yeah. The thing is, though, the heat's going to come whether you worry about it or not. So if... If it's your local and you're trying to preserve your local, I understand being concerned about the heat. But if you're on a trip somewhere, just play through the heat. It's your job to play right. It's their job to back you off. You do your job, let them do their job. And in that situation, your job is to generate EV, period. That's it. Right, exactly. I mean, you do have considerations on a trip. If there's a chain with a string of casinos in that town, you have to you know, be cognizant of that fact for obvious reasons. At the same token, all right, so the last trip that I was on in Vegas, from the intel that we received, we thought we would get away with playing so our plan of attack was to get raided and play well that completely blew up and we we ended up getting backed off our raided but they, that didn't change up our plans as far as playing the other casinos you just make sure you change up your look and now when you're going into the other ones you're playing unrated and now you already know okay if my spread is one by 25 to two by 500 i know the heat's coming at two by 150 so it doesn't even matter i'm just gonna blow right past the heat play through it and and just wait for the back off right yeah uh so treating pit personnel if you're there and you're playing rated try and be their friend you want to be a nice customer you know clean up messes that other ploppies leave behind don't be a jerk to the dealers don't be a jerk to the waitresses try and be nice and try and be likable i think that goes a long way in terms of, of getting hours in and look the casino's in the business of making money and you're taking their money so mm-hmm. whether you or not eventually Eventually, they're going to tell you you're done here. You know, that's the inevitable end result. To your point, though, whatever it may be, dealer, pip, personnel, whatever, uh, maybe comment, oh, that's a really nice watch or nice tie or, you know, something like that. Just personalize it a little bit. So then that gives you an opening. Hey, so how, how many kids do you have? How old are they? That kind of thing. You know, yeah, and, like like a normal person would. If you ran into somebody on a bus you're sitting next to or an airplane, you might just talk to them like that. Just be a normal person. Try to look like a normal person, not like a guy trying to steal money from them. Yeah, I guess I would equate it to, you know, if you have a, re- a local restaurant that you like going to, you're friendly with the hostess. You know the hostess. You're friendly with the waiters and the waitresses and the bartender. You know, you're friendly with all of them. And, and they like you and they take care of you and you take care of them. It's no different than going to the casino. You're the customer. The only problem with that, and I completely agree with that analogy, but as APs, we tend to be cheap tippers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's that built-in adversary relationship right there. So you can get away with being nice for a while. You know, at some some dealers don't even care. They're just like, whatever. Especially if you're getting hammered, then they totally understand why you're not tipping. But if they're paying you really well, that can be a problem. But you can't worry about that. You know, like you said, it's going to come when it's going to come. And you can't give away your EV by over tipping, of course. Right. No, that, that tipping away your EV is going to kill your bankroll. You, you just can't do it. I mean, it sucks, but you just can't do it, especially at lower stakes. I've been there and I've done that. Don't do it. You just have to be aware of how much EV you're tipping away. It's it's nice from a customer standpoint to tip a little bit and it might help with the relationship with the dealers, but uh, as far as longevity, I don't I don't necessarily think uh, tipping the dealer is going to get you any extra longevity. 
completely agree. He also asked what your spread was like when you started noticing a significant difference in the way they treated you. I remember spreading at the $10 tables. It seemed to be fine if I would bet like two by 100 in stacks of green and red, it seemed to be fine. But once I went north of the two by 100 mark and I started getting paid in black chips and the dealers were yelling out, you know, uh, blackout and stuff like that. That seemed like that's when they started paying attention. Right. That was a good question. Yeah, it was. Thanks, Colin. Colin B. Yeah. Not Colin like B, like A-B, like Colin, like his last name is B and I didn't want to put his full name on blast because he didn't give me a, a pseudonym put out there like most of us use. All right. So now let's go to our first voicemail message. And it comes from a listener named The Fastest Molasses. Cool name. Hello, hello. Love the podcast. Here are some questions I had, uh, particularly about note-taking. So what notes do you take down? Uh, Do you take down any notes uh, during a session, or do you take them all down afterwards? And then, in particular, uh, I been finding I've, I get a very loose estimation of rounds per hour and I've been using that, but I feel like I could be doing a little bit better for that. And I was wondering what other people did. Notes I would take down during a session. I mean, obviously what you started with, what you ended with, your time in, your time out. If you had any mispays in your favor, you'd want to take note of that. If the dealer's being sloppy, exposing a whole card or, you know, any kind of error in your favor, uh, you're going to want to take notes of that. If you get backed off in a session, you want to try and take notes of what shift, who it was that backed you off, what you were wearing when you were backed off. What they were wearing what they look like, all that kind of stuff. You want to take notes so that you can recall who they were and what you look like. Right. Absolutely. So when you go back, you know what not to look like and who to avoid and for you to tell people in your network who to avoid and what shift to avoid and all that kind of good stuff. Right. Um, Also, you can also take notes. Uh, Some dealers are really, I guess, proud doing their job. You know, they'll call out black action or checks play consistently. So if you stumble on a dealer that consistently does that, um, you know, take note of that and probably avoid their table. And if you find a dealer that doesn't call it out and doesn't yell checks play and and doesn't bring attention to your table, take note of that too. Yeah, like I was playing at a place over the weekend and it's a double deck game and they do not allow DAS. That's the house rule. It's been that house rule forever. But I had, I don't know, five or six dealers in a row that were allowing it. (laughs) And I know it's not the rule there. Uh, Maybe they changed the rule, but I was not about to ask. So I just went with it. But I'm pretty sure that's not the rule there. Uh, I don't know why they would loosen up the rules post-COVID because that's ridiculous. Because pre-COVID for many years there, it's no DAS on on, uh, Double Deck. But, you know, I just went with it. And that's something you definitely want to put down in your notes, right? Anything that's a a slight mistake or error that's in your favor is is definitely noteworthy. Um, One thing we did miss was penetration. If you find, if you're in a shop that is typically, you know, cutting off a deck and a half and you find a dealer that will cut off significantly less, then that's definitely noteworthy. There's a dealer in the Philadelphia area that's extremely fast and consistently cuts off, you know, a half deck or less. So, yeah. So anybody, anybody that reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm going to be playing the the, the Philly market. I'll tell them this is the dealer you want to look for. This is his name. This is what he looks like. This is the casino. This is his chef. You want to find him. Yeah, go find Joe or whatever his name is. Yeah, and and I'm pretty sure he knows exactly what's up. You know, he'll he'll give you the look and I'll be like, eh, not working out for you today, is it? 
it's like, no, not today. You know? But I'm still coming back to you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's nice because he knows what's up. So then he also knows he's not going to get a tip as well. But he doesn't care. So right. Man, that's a that's a that's a really good question about the rounds per hour. It is. Uh, I mean, when I play, I'm much more focused on my my game and what the dealer's doing. I'm not focused on trying to track my rounds per hour. Um, if you're that concerned about it and you want to be really accurate about it, then my opinion would be to have another AP in your area, you know, count you down for a while and and track your rounds per hour so you have a real good estimate of it. Uh, I've just been using. I think well, a lot of people use 75 rounds per hour for double deck and 100 rounds per hour for six deck and that's pretty much everything i, I base my estimations around that if you want a very accurate rounds per hour i think you should have somebody count you down absolutely the obvious thing with rounds per hour is you want to get as many positive rounds per hour that you can so you know the fewer to the table the better and the faster the dealer the better absolutely uh, another part of the first question he asked, when do you take your notes? Uh, I think that's something that should be mentioned is I put the notes on my phone, but don't ever do it on the floor. Go in the bathroom and do your notes or some other place that's private. You know, do you agree with that? Assume if you pull your phone out that somebody upstairs is looking at your phone. So if you're if you're taking notes or whatever on a form or doing whatever, uh, you don't want somebody upstairs looking at your phone, seeing that. So step into your office where the toilets are, take your notes, do what you got to do in there and then go back to the table. Exactly. I just figured that was worth mentioning because he asked specifically of when you take the notes, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you could take them in the middle of your of your sessions or, or whatever at the casino but if you're going to do it do it in the bathroom assume yeah. you can see your phone yeah that's even like even like if you're out of the gaming pit say don't go over to like sit by a slot machine and then pull your phone out they still have cameras don't go over to the deli sit down and order some food and then be put in your notes and go do that in the bathroom if you just stop and take a look around in the casino look up at the ceiling there's cameras everywhere except literally the bathroom. right except the bathroom there's cameras everywhere and a lot of people don't know this there's also micro phones everywhere. So if, if you're having a, a casual conversation with somebody else and you're like, oh, such and such a dealer is flashing the whole card. Well, guess what? There's a microphone nearby that probably heard that. So if you're going to be talking advantage play stuff or anything advantage play, it should be in the bathroom. Or at the very least coded. So yeah. they don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I just thought I'd clarify on that. So let's go to the next question. We'll do a written question this time. So actually, this is the question that you asked on my post on BGA asking for questions. You you asked, if you were a casino owner, would you back off APs? Yes or no and why? And then MPS asked a follow-up question to that. He said, what game conditions would you offer? What approach would you take? I.e., would you do six to five, all CSMs, etc.? In addition to that, if you back players off, to, and he says, to be fair, he can't imagine why you wouldn't back players off. What game production measures would you put in place? Man, all right, let's see. So backing people, if I was the casino owner, would I, I eventually would back off winning APs. Uh, yes. I wouldn't distinguish between machine APs or comp hustler APs or blackjack APs or any other carnival game hole carding AP. If you're a winning player, you're going to get backed off eventually. I'd probably be fair about it, though. I'd take your action for quite a while before ultimately making the decision I'm, I'm backing somebody off. Would you, like, not back people off when they're, like, in the hole eight grand? You know, <laughs> like, it's happened to me. I'm I'm sure it's happened to you before. Yeah, I, I would let them play because I know 
fair amount of people that thought they were APs that had maybe a little too much gamble in them. So I, mm-hmm. I would let them play. And, you know, I would want to look at their results over the course of a year or two or three. And if they're consistently winning over three years, then all right, you know what? You're done here. That is a great point because the thing that APs have and we all bring to the casino is that a lot more money than the average person is going to bring and a lot more money than the average person is going to be willing to risk because we think we have an edge. And there, like you said, there's a lot of people who think they have an edge that are playing a break-even game at best. So or maybe, they're, maybe they don't know how they're properly banked also. So yeah. Exactly. I would I would take a chance with them going bust. I mean, I'm sure you know plenty of blackjack players that were over betting their bankrolls and eventually went bust. I mean, it probably happens more often than not. Um, yeah, for every story of someone who started with 500 bucks and turned it into 100 grand, there's probably a uh, 10,000 other stories of people who went bust. Right. You know. Yeah. And. And even when I say I would back them off, once they hit a win threshold for the year, I would back them off and I'd be like, listen, you're done playing for the year. You can come back January 1st the next year. And then I would take their action until they hit the win threshold again. And then I'd back them off for the rest of that year. Because ultimately, I believe a winning player will bring in more losing players. Yes. So he's like a loss leader. He's your $49 DVD player on Black Friday. I'm sure it's happened to you where you have a really good shoe or something like that and you have a pile of chips and you color up and you leave the table and two or three ploppies are fighting to sit in the chair because they're like a hot seat yeah that's a hot seat ah it's like okay good luck with that Yeah, past results are not indicative of uh, future results. But hey, whatever. Gamble, gamble, gamble. For games offered, I would take the approach of I would offer a very good single deck three to two game that had a small house edge. Um, Stand 17? Yeah, I would offer single deck, stand 17, good rules with a small house edge. You know, if you're the only single deck game in a casino market, I I think you'll end up pulling the crowd from the surrounding casinos. I mean, if you have a market of casinos and you're the only single deck casino in the area, I think you could advertise that. And I think you could draw the crowd to play that single deck game. But is it going to bring the the kind of crowd that you want? You know, I, you never know. I, it's obviously going to bring the APs in. Yeah, they'll fly uh, in for that game. Yeah. 17. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the same token, you know, you, you have a smart surveillance staff they'd be pretty easy to pick off on a single deck game. That's true. Most ploppies even know the single deck. That's the game you want to play because, you know, that's old school Vegas. That's the best odds. And I never thought of the point that you just mentioned before about just backing them off for the rest of the year and say, come back January 1st and that they're going to bring a bunch of money and a bunch of APs are going to come with them that maybe aren't as good as they are, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the people that run these casinos, in my opinion, are just stupid because perfect example, if I go down to my local and I sit down at the blackjack table in a span of five minutes, they're going to kick me off the table. But I guarantee you right now, there's a video poker team down there playing because it's a multiplier day. I don't know what they're taking them for every month, but on average, I bet it's 40 to 50K a month. Right. You know, you won't back off the video poker team because it's machine play, but you'll back me off if I sit there playing quarters at the blackjack table. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was at this double deck table uh, a couple months ago. I was just betting table minimum because the, the count was, wasn't moving very much. And for like 20 minutes, two suits were standing there staring at our table because there was a guy next to me just a ploppy betting a lot of money. Yeah. And they were staring at that guy. And while they're staring at that guy, the six deck shoe, like two, three feet from the guy in the fancy Armani suit standing there so the big boss watching this guy because they're sweating his action 
the guy playing it by himself, heads up, I could see his bet starting at the shuffle at table minimum, and I could see it jumping up, and he, he's betting $5 or 10 whatever the minimum was. I think it was 10 And then he has big stacks of green, big stacks of black, and three or four purples there, and he's betting $10. Like, that's not freaking obvious. So they're not even, they're not even paying that guy any freaking attention. But the guy at my table who's just a ploppy bet a lot of money, like, he's to your point, casinos are so stupid. They're just stupid. I'm like, I can't, yeah. I can't believe that. The guy, it's obvious. I'm not even at the table or really even paying much attention to him, but I, I could tell what's going on over at that table just right next to where the guy's standing. It's ridiculous. I mean, and that goes to show just how stupid they are. You know, yeah. the, the pay attention to the ploppy betting big money because they're sweating that. But, you know, there's an AP over there. There's a group of AP o- APs over there. It's just, I, I just shake my head at some of the stupid decisions they make. Yeah, in the promotions they offer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, but, advantage play in general. There's, there's so many ways to beat the casino, but the casino seems to only care about if you're a card counter making your two percent <laughs> and it makes no sense yeah i know man it's just uh i don't know it does not make any sense i completely agree with you okay so let's go to another audio question from a listener named lucky heart hi guys my question is about the public or ploppy's advantage slash disadvantage how good do you think the average ploppy plays with the increase of technology and availability of knowledge has their play gotten better over the years? Lastly, do they play well enough to warrant a drastic rule change such as a 6-5 to five blackjack payout in order to secure profits for the house? Thanks. That's another good question. The public, the ploppies, I'd be willing to bet they play with a 5 or 6% house edge. They miss a lot of double downs that they should do. They don't surrender when they should surrender. They take even money on their blackjacks all the time. Very rarely does anybody have perfect basic strategy. So, yeah, and the the poppies that you're talking about, the 5 or 6% edge, they're, they're the air quotes, good players who play almost basic strategy, but not quite. The poppies yeah. that have no clue what the f*** they're doing, double and hard 12s, hitting against a six and a hard hand, you know, stuff like that. They're giving way more than that. Betting $10 on the main bet, 25 on the sucker bet. Wow. Yeah, that's if, uh, you know, I'm five, 6%. That's just on the on the main bet. When you start adding up the side bets that have 10, 15, 20% house edges, it's highway robbery, in my opinion. Absolutely. So the rule change in going to six to five, that's uncalled for, in my opinion, because the house is already playing with a big enough edge at three to two. I'd be willing to bet they could even pay two to one and uh, most ploppies are still going to have a losing game. Yeah. I remember trying to talk a ploppy into doubling 11 versus a 10, and I was trying to talk her into doubling it, and she wouldn't do it. And then the very next hand, she was dealt deuces against the ace, and she split it out to four hands. What's the logic behind this? You know, you won't double 11 against a 10, but you'll split twos against the ace out to four hands. I'd love to see the logic. They say, well, I'm just here to gamble. Then, But then why don't you take the good gamble and double your 11? Yeah. <laughs> And six to five, that's just purely to, to thwart card counters, in my opinion. Some of the worst players I've met are also the most well-educated people. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> One of the smartest guys I know, he wrote a program to play blackjack. He came up with his own his own basic strategy and and, uh, and everything else to go with it, uh, you know, betting everything. When I looked at it, I'm like, eh, you're playing with about a 3% house edge. So you're playing negative EV. And this is one of the smartest people I know. Right. The math doesn't lie folks. 
<laughs> the math is the math is the math. You can't reinvent one plus one equals two. One plus one is always going to equal two. Probabilities are always going to be probabilities. You know, yeah, ratios really- are always going to be ratios. He wrote this program uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Oh, okay. It was before, you know, not necessarily before other blackjack software, but before blackjack software was well known, I guess. Yeah. So did we answer that guy's question, you think? I think so. I think we covered all that. All right. So let's go back to the written questions. Paradigm asks three questions. The first question is, in what ways do you play your local market differently than markets to which you need to travel to, if at all? Great question. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, so my, my local market, before even playing it, I'm going to try and get as much reliable intel that I can to avoid being backed off at my local. Um, a trip market, I'm still going to gather as much intel as I can, but you know, it's it's not going to be geared around necessarily a back off. I think you can cost yourself a little bit of EV, uh, keeping a tighter spread for longevity versus on a trip, just go in there with guns blazing and get the EV. I agree. And I think one thing for your local market to consider is how small is your local market? How many casinos are within, you know, two or three hours from wherever you live? And if there's only that one casino or like two of them there, then maybe you should play it differently than where if you live in an area like I do, where there's dozens of casinos. Yeah. I mean, if you have multiple casinos in your market, you also want to know if they share intel. Yes, and then, definitely. And then this way, you know, if you have two or three casinos that share intel, all right, you're going to take this car to this casino and play rated and take this car to this other casino and play unrated. And you're going to have a different look at each casino. You know, if if you know playing rated buys you longevity at this place, but they share info with the other two or three, you, you want to play those other two or three unrated. So that when you finally do get burned playing rated, it doesn't burn the rest of them. Exactly. That's a great point. And you also want to find, if you have several options in your uh, local area, which ones are better comp hustle shops? And those are where I play rated. And yep. which ones are straight EV shops? And a lot of, especially if it's like in your market, but like say three hours away where it's adjacent, like there's one place that their game kind of sucks that actually I'm staying in a comp room as we speak at one of those places. Their game's not great, but I just give them enough play to get free rooms. Not too far away, there's another casino that has great EV that I go and hit. So you got to kind of, you know, mix and match and use them for what they're good for. You know, they're like tools, basically. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And if you're using one of those casinos um, more or less for the comp hustle game, then you can also use that as a launch site to hit the other two or three in the area. And on top of that, if you have some APs, you know, that are a few states away that are coming in and they need a room, okay, well, I have comp rooms here. I'll get your rooms here. I might be taking a trip to your area. Can you get me comp rooms in your area? Absolutely. Like this place I'm staying at tonight, they give me two free rooms a week for very little play and free food. And they're not database participants. I know this for a fact. So... If you're going to burn your name out doing a comp hustle, then you might want to you just want to make sure the place that you're doing your comp hustle out isn't going to rat you out to everybody else, even though, you know, once they figure out what's going on, because you even get backed off from comp hustles eventually. Yeah. Finding out if they're a database participant or not, that's that's pretty important. That That's probably, you know, that might be number one or number two as far as trying to find out for Intel on your local. Oh, definitely. For sure. That'll tell you what you can get away with and what you can risk in away with. I know somebody who knew he was going to get burned out at one of his locals and he knew for a fact they didn't. It's just a small card room. It's not part of a chain or anything. And he knew someone who worked there 
and he knew for a fact that they didn't fly her out, weren't database participants. So he just hit him like a ridiculous spread and lasted a couple of hours longer than he thought he would, but he just went for it. And partially because he knew he wasn't going to get flyered out. You got to look at those things. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of this information is hard to come by and unless you're well networked with people. So it, it seems like everything comes back to being networked with people. Definitely. And like I I think I said on a podcast with Nichols on the mailbag podcast and we were talking about networking. You know, when you meet people, offer something to them. Even if it's something they may already know, they'll appreciate you offering it and they'll know that you're just not like sucking information and not giving back. Cause I, I can't stand people who do that and I cut them off and don't give them any information yeah <laughs> but it's i mean a, a lot of those well maybe not a lot but a, a few of those ap's um you know after i had a couple years into it and then i was helping these other newcomers come along there's two of them now that it used to be a one-way street me giving information to them it's almost like that street's turned around and now they're giving information to me right there's a, but there's a difference i see what you're saying but like i said if there's somebody who gives me information there's something i already know about I appreciate, even though I already know about it, I appreciate that they're at least trying to share something with me, you yeah. know, versus somebody who is just take, 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 take. Yeah. And, and ultimately, yeah. you know, I, I think the people that are one way street, eventually that reputation catches up with them and does them harm in the long run. You're absolutely right. And I've also, I've never done this because I'm not an asshole, but I've heard of people intentionally giving those people bad information, really bad intel, ruins oh, their whole trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty dirty. I would I, never do that, but yeah, uh, I don't think I could do that. I, I felt bad enough as it was because uh, a guy ended up coming up to play my local and I told him, you know, if, if you spread one to eight, you'll be fine. And then like two hours later, I get a text message. Hey, I got backed off spreading one to eight. What the hell? And I was like, no way. And sure enough, he did. And I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. There's somebody I know that uh, he is technically a great player. I mean, he knows he got his, he's got his deviations down. He has everything down pat. He can test out 100% almost every time. I've tested him out. But in a casino, he looks like he, he is so easy to spot. He's like his eyes are jetting around, has nervous twitches. He keeps looking at the floor, the casino, not the floor floor, the, yeah, the, casino, the casino staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it just, he looks like he's counting cards. So he has no cover at all. He needs to work on his, his act is terrible. His game is one of the best I've, for a pretty young guy, one of the best I've ever seen. But his act is terrible and he gets backed off constantly. He's like, what am I doing wrong? I was like, uh, this is probably what it is. <laughs> yeah, there there is an art form to acting like a ploppy. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why your friend got backed off at that one to eight i mean your act is definitely part of it i mean if if you look like a counter smell like a counter act like a counter and spread one to eight you're probably still going to get picked off if you don't look like a counter and you don't act like a counter you might be able to spread one to 20 all day and get away with it yep but anyway on to the next question paradigm also asks how do you need to adjust your play style casino comportment etc as you move up your unit size example to black chipping any valuable lessons from those times? I think if, if you, I mean, red chipping, I don't think it makes a difference who or what you look like. Um, green chipping, maybe I think you start dressing a little better or playing on the busy night. Black chipping, playing $100 units. It's my opinion that if you go in there and you try and look the part, like you have some money to burn, it'll buy you a little bit of time. I know, you know, when, when my wife and I, on our last trip to Vegas, she made sure that she brought her Jimmy Choo clutch and she put it on the table face up so that surveillance could see it. 
know. I don't know what Jimmy Choo is, but I assume that's an expensive purse. Clutch is a purse, right? Yeah, it's a it's some fancy high end clutch. It's her thing. I don't know. But, but if some, right. somebody in surveillance knows what that is, they'll look at that and they'll be like, oh, all right, well they can throw black chips around. Yeah, a good example of something similar to that for the man's side. But I mean, hey, if you're a guy and you want to carry a Jimmy Choo clutch around, go for it, dude. I, no judgment here. Um, <laughs> they may leave you alone because of that too. But yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> a watch, a nice watch. Yeah, I think a nice watch, a wedding ring, some decent clothes on. They don't have to be super nice. I think that buys you a little bit of time as, as opposed to walking in with jeans that are ripped, uh, oily and greasy sweatshirt, you know, and your hair a total mess. And then you start throwing black chips around in a local market. And I just don't think that's going to look right. There's this ploppy that plays at a local casino to my market. And he is a glazer. He like puts windows in and high rises and stuff like that. You know, they make pretty good money. It's a union job. He's a big guy. Comes in with Carhartt overalls, all dirty with, you know, glue on it and stuff. And he's betting 500 times too. And they just think makes decent money and has a gambling problem. And this is somebody to your local yeah yep so here's a perfect example if i was gonna go play your local and you're and you telling me that okay this guy comes in and everybody knows he's a window glazer union job makes pretty good money and this is the clothes that he's wearing and he'll come in and they'll throw black chips around and they don't question it well if i was gonna go play your market instead of dressing up you know in nicer right. clothes i'll dress up like that right exactly I'll do, little, I'll do a little bit of research on window glazing i'll come in i'll be like oh yeah you know i figured i'd come in i've, I've been working and as a window glazer for a couple of years, I got some money. I got, you know, I'll give Blackjack a try. Yeah, the only problem with that would be is if that actual guy sits down and then, hey, yeah, this guy's a window glazer too. Oh, yeah, who do you work for? I work for this guy named Nubs. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah. But I like playing at his table. He's a pretty fast player. And he bets so much that it takes the heat off me. And he bets so much that it scares other people from sitting down because they don't want to sit at a table where a guy's betting crazy money because they right. feel like, you know, sometimes people sit down, whatever. But it does. I've noticed it does keep people away because uh, and I'm betting decent action, too. But his action keeps mine look like looking like nothing. They only pay attention to me. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. If you look to see who is putting big money down and when and you would try and blend in with them exactly okay so the last question that paradigm asks is what information do you use to decide whether or not it's worth to play rated at a location we sort of kind of covered this before but i think this is a little different spin on it yeah yeah the, the whole rated versus unrated play that's one of the gray areas of blackjack that's really hard to decide what side of the fence you're going to fall on and again it comes here i'm going to say it again network is key <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, if you can find out if any of the comps are, are worth it. If it's a simple, hey, no more blackjack, but, you know, you, you can do whatever else you want. Just no more blackjack. Or is it going to be your trespass? You're out of here, you know? And then your trespass from all their other properties if they're a chain. Right. It's a risk and reward scenario that get as much information that you can and then make a decision and then live with it. I played rated at one of the casinos in Philly because we got the intel that you could play rated there they're really clueless we were well do we play rated do we not play rated ultimately we decided on playing rated and 
Just because we played rated on a comp kickback, we're getting almost $6,000 worth of yep. uh, perk that we weren't going to get if we played unrated. So in that case, playing rated was definitely worth it. Definitely. That's definitely worth it. And another thing to consider is, and this is, again, where your network's going to help. I know shops that if you play rated, they'll give you a long leash. If they don't know who you are, they freak the F out and right. they will back you off quicker than quick. So right. some shops, you pretty much have to play rated or have a damn good excuse why you don't want a card. Right. I mean, if I was a pit boss in Vegas and somebody came in and said, oh, I don't want a card. Oh, OK. Well, red flag number one. $25 table, I'm going to buy in for $1,000. Oh, okay. Red flag number two, you know? Yeah, and, you better you better be playing 200 bucks your first hand or 100 bucks your first hand, not yeah. a quarter. And I'll, I'll watch your first couple bets. And if it's 25, 25, 25, 25, two hands of 100, well, okay. I've, I've seen this before. This is not my first day, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It's rated versus unrated. You know, a situation like that in Vegas, I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference. But, uh, you know, outside of Vegas, I think that's where you really got to do your homework. And it just depends on situation and sometimes even shift, sometimes even day of the week. It, it just really depends. It really yeah. does. And the, the one thing that bothers me with this whole rated versus unrated play is just because you played rated at a casino and you were picked off playing rated and they told you we don't want your action anymore. That doesn't mean you're done there. You can go back. It can be done. Then both of us have done that. I, I know right. for a fact you've told me and I know I have. Right. And I know other APs, they're playing rated at places they've been backed off two or three or four times in other names and they're back playing rated in a different name. It's not like it's the end of the world yeah but but that that goes back to taking notes earlier where you know i was playing under this name this was my look this is what i got backed off looking like so when i go back i'm under a different name and now i look like this that's a good point and to the newer players i think what you're trying to stress here is and i'll put an exclamation point on it is that a back off is not the end of the world or the end of that shop go a different shift don't play rated the next time you play rated the first time you got backed off of course yeah um you know a full trespass is a totally different situation especially if you're going to a native casino because they may confiscate your chips and i know places where there are signs where uh it says you know barred players will have their chips confiscated so you got to kind of weigh that risk and then in that case don't have many chips on the table at any time even if you have two grand on you only have a couple hundred on the table at a time or something so yeah. if they do confiscate your chips that's all they're going to get it's a very complicated question that there's no simple answer another thing to consider is you may want to consider your future AP beyond blackjack um, right. career because if you burn your name out from playing blackjack rated you're not going to be able to do many of the other AP plays that require you to play rated we got to weigh that too yeah um, un unfortunately though um, I think most people start with blackjack and by the time you're exposed to some of these other plays that you and I know about you know that might be a couple years down the road and if, if you didn't know about those plays and you, you decided to play rated and then you find out about these plays later on, you know, who's to say you should or shouldn't have played rated years ago, not knowing about these other plays? You know, it's if I could do it over again, then yes, there's there's certainly other ways I would still play rated, but I would do these other plays first. Right. You know, but there, there's no way. I mean, I just learned about some of this stuff within the past year and I'm I don't know, I'm going on like year five or six. As far as those other plays go. It's EV, but I don't enjoy most of them. It's drudgery. <laughs> I like playing cards. I do right, not yeah. like sitting there mashing a freaking button on a slot machine. Uh, poker machine, yeah. But, uh, you know. 
All right, so our next question is another audio question. Hey, my name is Mickey. I consider myself to be a fairly amateur AP. Love the podcast, and I have a couple questions I'd like to ask each of you. My first couple questions are for nubs, and they are about the urination station that you played at. First question was, did that couple who left the table, did they act weird or say anything out of the ordinary when they left, or did they just get up and go? Oh God, that that whole pissing in the chair day when I sat when I sat in the <laughs> other lady's piss. Good Lord, uh, no. So I I was just back counting that table, and I'm assuming it was a boyfriend girlfriend couple. They were playing a uh, you know heads up blackjack, and everything was just fine. They were playing. I'm back counting it, and the shoe was getting better and better and better. And I'm getting ready to sit down, and she just kind of looked at him, like gave him a nudge, and he looked at. <laughs> Her, nothing was said and they just got up and left and i was like oh okay and and that's when i sat down and we all know what happened after that when uh i got my pants soaked in her piss but yeah no it, <laughs> she didn't say anything and he didn't say anything at least not loud enough for me to hear because if i if i heard her say she just pissed herself then i wouldn't have sat in the chair even though you're red chipping it, it was finally a, a positive count you, you can wong in at. Yeah, you know, you, you got to take the good with the bad. So <laughs> if, you got, if you got a hot count and wet pants, you got, just got to play through. Okay. And second, would you recommend to all the beginners that are listening to this right now that a TC2 <laughs> is worth taking the piss? <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, you know, if the shoe's rich, it's going to take a lot to get me away from that shoe. It, it, it really is. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. It, it's uh, <laughs> it, I suppose there's worse things in life than sitting in somebody else's urine for five, ten minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. Especially that you were red chipping at that point and you were just waiting, just thirsty for a good opportunity. You're already wet at, at that point, right? The piss isn't going to you're gonna, not going to get unpissed on. Right, right. Your, your pants are already wet. You're already sat down so you might as well finish the shoe i mean why i mean why not at that point it's already it's already too late what's done is done i'll tell you what if if somebody said hey you could have a positive shoe every time you sat down in a chair that was pissed in i'd be like point me to the chair i will sit down give me that positive shoe Just like everybody in life, in any situation, most situations, probably has a price. I think there's a TC where everybody would sit in the piss. <laughs> I don't know. For you, I guess it was two at that point in your career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and some people pay good money for that service, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now it's your turn, Mike. How do you get comped rooms or meals when you refuse to show an ID? Like I mentioned earlier, that certain casinos are comp hustle places and other places are EV places. You're not going to get comp meals or free rooms at properties that you don't show your ID, obviously. But in general, some places are comp hustles and some places are EV places. I would agree with that. There's also various forms of ID, too. I mean, uh, good point. They're really good at scanning uh, driver's licenses and uploading that ID photo into their system. There's other IDs that you can get that don't scan very well at all that are, aren't very common. And they look at it and they're like, what is this? I've never seen this before. And you're like, oh, no, this this is a federal issue ID. This is a real ID. A passport? Yeah, there's passports and, there, and there's other forms of ID that you can get. It's a good point. 
a couple of trips ago uh, in Vegas, I used my global entry ID to get uh, Comp Buffet. And they were looking at this saying, what is this? We've never seen this before. I'm like, no, that's a legit ID. You know, it doesn't really scan well. So it works out well. That's a very good point that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. This last trip, I was trying to cash out $800 at the cage. And the, and the cashier, she looks at me and she says, oh, I, I need your ID because I need, need to make sure you're 21 years old. <laughs> and let me set the stage for you. I had put the chips up. And in my other hand, I had a Bud Light. <laughs> and so I looked right at <laughs> it and I said, hold that thought. And I, and I take, the, take a sip of the beer and I put the beer on the cashier cage right next to the chips. I says, are you satisfied now? And she's like, nope, I still need to verify that you're 21. And I'm like, you know what? Just give me the chips back. I know where this is going. Right. I mean, that just goes back to, I can't believe how sweaty Vegas is now. I mean, for $800, really? Come on. That is ridiculous. It is. One of the guys for 400, four blacks, they didn't want to cash them out. Wow. Yeah. I thought in Nevada, I thought Nersessian had a case where if you're a customer, you can refuse ID. They have to cash you out. They have they have to cash you out. But it's just I mean, it's a pissing match is all it is. Yeah. You know, and uh, and occasionally somebody pees on the chair and somebody sits in it. But it's... <laughs> Way to bring it back, brother. Well done, <laughs> sir. Well done, sir. <laughs> all right. So next question is. Okay, Workhorse asks, how much of my bankroll should be bank chips for my local casinos? Should a person bank chips if they only go to casino once every couple of months? What do you think about that? That's another good question. A per- percentage of your bankroll, uh, I don't really know what percentage I would use, but I would have probably, if, if you do like a, a trip ruin, you know, using the pro betting software, mm-hmm. like 20, 30 hours for a trip session with a reasonable risk of ruin. And I would have that much in chips for your right. local. Um, Semi-local place is what he's saying. If you're going to be going there fairly regularly, it just makes sense because now you don't have to buy in, you don't have to cash out. And, you know, if, if you're going to make 30, 40, 50 trips over the course of the year, 30, 40, 50 times every time, that's a lot of time. It adds up. Yeah, expect, and also the whole cashing out thing is a pain in the ass, too, sometimes. Yeah, That's, but if you're well-networked, you have any APs coming through the area are, are going to hit you up for chips, more than likely. Oh, definitely. So if, if you have chips, you help them out, and you know if, if they have a winning session, good for them. It maybe it sucks for you a little bit because now you now you have more and more of those chips. But Right, but I, I definitely think that's a very important thing to do because— Nothing's, and this has been mentioned before on the podcast, say you have a 16, dealer has an ace showing, you're out of chips on the table or out of money, so you dig in your wallet and buy in for, you know, it's like TC6 or something, so you're going to, you got a a massive bet out there, and then you're buying in to buy insurance on a 16 against an ace. That 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 looks looks pretty really bad. Right. It's much better to just have chips to plop down and just act like a ploppy. Just ah, fuck it. I'm buying insurance. I don't. I want to protect my big bet or whatever, you know. But yeah, like why are you insuring a 16? You know, because I'm an idiot, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then after I insure it, I'm gonna surrender it. So there. <laughs> yeah. There's that too. And have you ever done an audible like? Because you know the the best outcome is if you insure it, then they have it, and you have a big bet. You just want to get out of that freaking hand. 16 versus ace. You want to get out of that right because that's yeah. not a good place to be in at a high count when you have a big bet obviously if yeah, you ever but, made the mistake 
mistake where you like audibly go, yeah, when they, they have the face in the hole. <laughs> well, yeah. if, if, if I'm buying insurance and the pit is right there saying, oh, well, why are you buying insurance for that? And I tell them, well, the, I'm going to lose the hand. So this is my only out. So I actually hope the dealer's got it. That's the only way I'm going to get out of this hand. Yeah, but other players don't look at it that way. <laughs> True. Carl, it's like you betting on the, the don't on craps and screaming, yeah, when everybody else lost their money. <laughs> yeah, everybody's frowny face and your smiley face. Yeah, but you yeah. know, it's like weird. Yeah. You only you only seem to buy insurance and you have big bets out there. <laughs> yeah, that's when I'm on tilt. Yeah. But yeah, to, to go back to his question, I, I would think 20 to 30 hours for a trip session, have have that in chips for your locals. That's for you and for APs in the area, you know, traveling APs that come through your area that need chips. Absolutely. That's a good way to quantify it, you know. So I think we answered that one. Let's go to, I think we have one more audio question. Beachcomber asks, Hey, I really enjoy your program. I learn a lot from you guys. My question for you is, my biggest weakness is adding up the dealer's hand, especially when there's many cards and they scoop them up really fast. At the expense of dropping the running count, I will just trust the dealer and or the other players to total them up for me. Fear of mispayment and dealer busting and not paying frightens me. Colin Jones helped me with this question saying that we all have this issue. I take some comfort in that. He also says that he will ask the dealer for their total, buying some time and verifying that they added up their hand correctly. Any other tips or tricks would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. That's a good question. I'm sure sure several members have the, the same difficulty because you're multitasking at that point. You're repeating the running count over and over in your head, trying to add up, you know, five, six, seven, eight cards, whatever it may be. With enough hours of play, you're going to be able to look at a cluster of cards and add it up without even thinking about it. Yes. And you'll know when it looks like a bust hand and you'll know when it uh, looks like a weak hand. Um, so I'm assuming he's talking about, you know, wh whether it's nice. 19 or 20 and the dealer just you know bang 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 there's the cards oh i beat you scoop the chips scoop the cards when that happens you have to stop the dealer stop the dealer whatever they're doing and just say i think you added that up wrong or no i think that's wrong or can you double check that just stop them and what as a player what you have to do first and foremost whatever the running count is keep that locked in your head you need to keep repeating that over and over in your head and then try and you know if the dealer adds it up faster than you just say wait a minute i'm i'm trying to hang on let me count this i think it's wrong and and just stop play you can do that you can stop play as the player you know and then keep the running count in your head and however many times it takes you to to add up however many cars it is to get to the right amount then it just takes what it takes don't be afraid to stop play and have the dealer add those up a couple times or make it so that you add them up correctly one time i should say yeah and i will add to that i agree with you completely it's best to do that before they take the cards and put them in the discard tray because that kind of creates a whole they got to call the floor over and say hey this guy wants to see some dealers get kind of are kind of assholes about that when you like question them 
so it's better that you do it before. Like even if they're starting to scoop the cards, they go, hey, I wasn't, I'm not quite sure what you have there. I think I might have beat you. Can you, you know, before they throw in a discard tray, and then they got to pull them out. And sometimes they screw up what hand it is. And you had this, and it was, you know, I'm sure you've had that happen before, Nubs. That actually happened on a, one of my trips down to Philly. I had added the dealer's hand up to, you know, north of 21. I forget the exact total, but I knew it was north mm-hmm. of 21. And he quick scoops my cards and scoops my chips and scoops her cards and boom, right into the into the discard tray. And because of COVID, I'm wearing the mask and I'm trying to speak through the plexiglass and she can't hear me. Mm-hmm. So now I'm telling her, you busted on that hand. You actually owe me. And she's like, no, I didn't bust. And I said, no, you did. And she's like, no, no, no. So, you know, she pulls the cards out. She gives me my cards back and she pulls her cards out. But at this point, just like you had said, now the cards are not in the correct order mm-hmm. and they're out of order. And she calls the floor over and the floor is looking at it. And the floor says, no, no she shouldn't have hit her soft 20. And I'm like, no, that ace wasn't there. The ace was over here. And you add those cards up. It's 22. And I, I ultimately lost the first battle with that. And they had to call upstairs and don't, find I, you don't ever want that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't really want that, but they, they, they did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, like 10 or 15 minutes later, the pit boss comes back and he says, OK, pay him $50. And I'm like, oh, somebody must have reviewed it and figured it out. That brings up another thing. Like sometimes in the moment, I like I could see why you would argue that and I have. And but sometimes if it's a good game and the EV is good and it's better just to play dumb there and say, oh, no, yeah, I don't you don't need to take upstairs. I'm, I'm OK. Sometimes I'll yeah. say, no, 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 we're going to make sure it's right. We're going to that's what we have cameras for. You know, I have let a mispay go because I didn't want undue attention. Um, so you got to kind of weigh that. But it's really hard. It is honestly hard in the moment, you know, so but you, you got to kind of keep your head in those moments is my point. Right. The sooner you can stop them, the better, you know, and if you didn't get to add it up yet and they're already scooping it, then by all means, stop them and say, hey, wait, wait, wait. I think you had 22 or whatever it was. Can you add those up again? Can you just double check that? Well, I'm sorry to say, but that's going to be it for this edition of the Tens and Aces podcast. Big thanks to Nubs for coming on. I appreciate you, buddy. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at the words tens and aces, the number 21 at gmail.com. That's tens and aces 21 at gmail.com. You can also reach us on the web at tensandaces.com. That's pretty simple. Tensandaces.com. Well, again, I hope you all enjoyed the show. Feel free to send me some feedback if you like the changes I've made to the show. What you like, what you don't like. Uh, We do this show for you, the AP community. So this is Mike signing out saying, see you down the fell. Have you had enough tea and day? Here's a few messages from our sponsors. Find your paradise. Go to visitlasvegas.com. By the fact 
that you're listening to a podcast about blackjack and advantage play. It's clear that you're interested in this topic and most likely interested in becoming the best blackjack player you can become. Now, I suppose there are exceptions to this. Like, for example, maybe you're an uninterested significant other trapped in the car listening to this. Or maybe you're a kid trapped in the car forced to listen to this because your phone is dead and you can't tune out the world with your headphones in like you normally would. And by the way, kids, I apologize for all the F-bombs that I've dropped on this show. Please don't follow my example. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't like money and you want to continue to play blackjack and not make your game better. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, by all means, tune out and don't listen to a word that I have to say right here. But if you want to learn how to be the best blackjack player you can be, learn and grow your game, I suggest you check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. They offer what is, in my opinion, not only a world-class education on the game of blackjack, but the absolute best education you can find anywhere for this game. They offer online training drills, a supportive community, as well as other exclusive tools that are critical to your success. Even if you already know the ins and outs of this game and don't really need the training they offer per se. That's great. I'm kind of in that boat myself and I imagine there are several others of you that are as well. So even for people like us, just the opportunities and networking alone that this site offers is worth the price of admission and then some. I also can't stress enough that it is a wonderful and supportive community of other APs. There is almost no trolling in the forums there. So once again, I urge you to check out blackjackapprenticeship.com if you're serious about growing your game. My name is Scott McGrath. The day before my eighth birthday, I fell in a pile of fire ants and suffered significant wounds on over 70% of my body. Since that day, I have made a solemn vow to kill every insect on planet Earth. I hate them with the passion of a religious zealot. Speaking of religion, of all the biblical plagues, I hate the locust plague the most. For the last 12 years, my white-hot rage has materialized in the form of my business, McGrath Pest Control. I have harnessed this unforgivable intolerance of insects and released the wrath of my fury on bugs in and around the homes of Houston. I will kill those bugs in any way that I can. Chemicals, my boot, my bare fist, or any other object that can end the life of an insect. Call 281-469-8240 and give me the honor of killing bugs at your house. I also hate rats and spiders. Go to McGrathPestControl.com. Maybe I'll go down to the track, put it all on a horse. Why don't you put it in the bank? Bank? This is found money. I want to parlay it. I want to make a big score. Oh, you mean you want to lose it. (laughs) 